welcome to the Smiling at the Future podcast. My name is Christy Rose, and this is my pursuit to glean practical wisdom on femininity, homemaking, finances, relationships, and singleness from the God-fearing women in my life. Hope you enjoy this journey with me as we learn to smile at the future. Hello, ladies, and welcome back. Another very practical topic for you all today, and it is self-defense, safety, and how to be wise but not anxious about your life. I'm sitting down with a godly couple, John and Carissa Dorbecker, and they provide such a balanced view on self-defense from a Christian perspective. We cover the biblical grounds for self-defense, practical tips for hiking or jogging alone, and other safety measures that you should implement, including home safety. So please buckle your seatbelts and enjoy this chat with John and Carissa. So thankful that you both agreed to chat with me today. And before we launch into the topic and the questions at hand, would you both introduce yourself to the listeners and maybe share a little bit of John, your background in law enforcement, how you both met. And I would love for you guys to share the adventure that you both went on the summer of 2018. Well, uh, I'm John, and I'm with my wife, Carissa. We've been married for 32 years, and we met in college. I actually met her my second day on campus at Clearwater Christian College in Clearwater, Florida. We started dating shortly thereafter, and God made it quite clear to us along the way that he planned for us to be together for life. And so we are living out the grace of life together in Christ and discovering his many blessings. Um, we have four kids, four grandchildren, and are anticipating the wedding of our youngest son this week, the following weekend, and looking forward to those blessings of marrying off the, the last of the Derbecker clan. So I am in law enforcement. I've been uh, employed by the LAPD for um 25 years. What I say here tonight are not going to be direct representations of anything the department will advocate, but these are going to be my thoughts and, and my directions comes clearly from me. Uh, I'd like Carissa probably who's best to share about our great adventure. And it was a wonderful <laughs> adventure. Thanks for bringing it up. Yes. Thank you, honey. Um, so one thing I do want to add to uh, John's introduction is that when we met, um, his goal, his life path was going to be the ministry. He was studying to be a pastor. And when I agreed to marry him, I thought I was agreeing to marry a pastor. And so uh, God had clearly different plans for us. And that's been a, a wonderful and challenging redirection of life and, and learning how to listen uh, to the Lord's leading and to work through some very unexpected changes in one's life. So John got to return the favor. And I believe it's 2015. I came home one day <laughs> from a hike. I, I go out and hike every Saturday and I had met a very interesting person on a trail and we'd had about a 15 minute conversation. And in that conversation, I decided I wanted to hike the John Muir Trail, which is a 211-mile trail that leads from Yosemite to Mount Whitney. I just decided I tend to do that occasionally, make some kind of rash decision. And such was the case on this day. And I came home and I told him, I, I just announced that I was going to go on this adventure. I think he hoped it would kind of die away. 
but as time went on, it didn't die away. And, and I made, started making plans and I, I found another Christian woman, a Christian single woman to uh, commit to go with me because I do not believe in going out solo uh, on adventures like these. So I found a partner. And then uh, when John heard that I had solidified that decision, then he wanted to do that with us. And so in the summer of 2017, we went on a 22-day backpacking trip. We actually started at Whitney, Mount Whitney, and a hike to Yosemite. And I have to say, I, I think it was one of the best experiences of my life. And although I did have some challenges along the way, he doesn't like to admit it as readily, but he admitted it also. <laughs> it was a great enjoyment and a tremendous opportunity to sue be out in the wilderness and alone with God. And so, yeah, it was a real blessing. Oh, that's so fun. I got to see some of your pictures and updates along the way and kind of lived vicariously through you both because that's been kind of a bucket list item for myself. And I've done portions of the John Muir Trail. I have yet to summit Mount Whitney and do the whole thing. I mean, it's some of the most beautiful country in my opinion, in the world. I mean, there's those alpine lakes and rivers and glacier peaks. I mean, it's just a beautiful hike, but strenuous too. 211 miles in the Sierras is different than hiking 211 miles through the city. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And we did meet uh, hikers on that trail from all the people really do travel the world to hike this trail. And every time I have been on a portion of it, I've met somebody from another country. So you are correct. And if you ever get the chance, I would highly encourage it. I will say a part of John's uh, motivation in doing so, in joining us, I, I think did come a little bit from his husband, protector, and law enforcement background. At some point, he had with the fact that his wife was going to go out into the wilderness and how would he feel if something happened to her and he wasn't there to protect me? And that was just, there were other factors of course as well, but uh, it was time, time very well spent. Yes, it was. And how long did the trip take you again? Well, we took a leisurely three weeks to complete the trip. So uh, many, many people rushed through that in, in much shorter time, but we figured we were going to be out there. We might as well enjoy every moment and not kill ourselves in doing so. So. And if I were to do it again, I well, scratch that. <laughs> when I do it again, God willing, I would like to do it again. But we have even discussed taking longer to do it when time wasn't an issue. Maybe even staying out a little bit longer because there is so much to enjoy. Amen. M- many times I, I just, I was drawn to thought, I thought of, you know, Old Testament believers. This is how God designed man to live. God designed man to care for his daily needs and to be dependent on God for those daily needs. I mean, a storm could come up any moment and we would just quickly need to find shelter. There were just a number of times I just realized so much more intensely how God designed man to live in fellowship with him and dependency upon him. It was, it was a remarkable uh, enlightening experience in that way. Those are really neat insights. All right. Well, today the topic that we're all going to be chatting about is on personal safety, self-defense, 
how to be wise through being prepared for specific situations. And I just want to tell the listeners this right off the bat, that the goal of this episode is not to make you paranoid to leave your house or to put a just a, a sinful fear in your heart for all the things that could happen to you. The goal is to give you a measure of wise caution and so that you're not over overly confident in your ability to protect yourself, but you're prepared, you're careful with the situations you put yourself in. But then in the end, you're trusting the Lord for your prote- protection so that you can live without fear and trust Him. So starting out with the foundation question, what are the biblical grounds for self-defense? And some women might shy away from self-defense because they're afraid of hurting somebody else in the process. So can you give some insight into what the Bible says on this topic? Sure, Christy. I think um, I'm going to share many of my own opinions that have come out of um, my experiences later. But as we begin, coming to this from a biblical standpoint is very important. Everything we do, we have to have a basis in God's word for understanding why we we do what we do, how we live our lives. And self-defense is is no different. There are a plethora of verses that people will use out of context, and they will try to make you um, see one point or another. I'm going to avoid Peter's use of the sword in the garden, because that is a a text that far often gets used inappropriately. But we do want to start with Scripture. And so I think God has has given us some clarity in in the Old Testament, and particularly in the law. And it's an area where we we tend to not spend a lot of time in our daily devotions. But when we get into the law, it's very practical. And God gives some very clear admonishments and directions for us within the law. And specifically, a text that has caused some confusion with regards to self-defense and if in that self-defense, if necessary, the taking of a life, is Exodus 20, 12, the sixth commandment. And I think most of us memorized it in the King James Version, or that's what we're familiar with, uh, thou shalt not kill. And that's not a bad translation, but I don't think it's the best translation because it communicates a specificity that the Word of God is really trying to communicate. And I think a better translation is thou shalt not murder because it's it's an important distinctive because uh, there are times when killing is lawful and permissible within the law of God and within our own countries and states penal codes. Within the law of God, we, we know that, at least from Genesis 9-5, that God ordains capital punishment. Genesis 9-5 says, And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. So God has said that, that capital punishment is a lawful killing. We know then in times of war, as ugly as that is, there are permissible acts of killing involved in warfare. And when it comes to self-defense, God doesn't leave us totally blind. 
mind, although you, you may have a hard time just putting a, a bunch of verses together that you can say, this is what God says, but he does specifically address self-defense in, in the law. Exodus 22, 2 and 3 says, if a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun is risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him, for he shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. So here we have God design for self-defense in your own home. It's a place of vulnerability where you, you're able to protect yourself from the man who, who breaks in. And if he dies during the commission, you're not guilty of his bloodshed. Now, if he survives, then he shall surely pay restitution, is what the text goes on to say. God has laid this out for us as a specific, uh, I think, a, a real mercy for us to care for our own homes, our, our personal safety, and that principle of being able to defend yourself is, is laid out here in the text that, that God certainly gives his perspective then on self-preservation and self-defense as a foundation. We can look at those two texts in Genesis and in Exodus and apply that to the law, thou shalt not murder, and, and understand that we can take away from that that the, there's a difference between the willful killing of an innocent and self-preservation, which God has designed all of us to have built into our own systems. You know, there are many greater theological minds than my own, and the Westminster divines are, are amongst them. And I think uh, they give in their the Westminster Catechism, question 135 says, what are the duties required in that sixth commandment? And they include the duties required in the sixth commandment are all careful studies and lawful endeavors to preserve the life of ourselves and others by resisting all thoughts, purposes, subduing all passions and avoiding all occasions, temptations and practices, which tend to the unjust taking away the life of any by just defense thereof against violence. And it goes on to talk about how it affects all of our life, not just um, how we look at life and death situations or, or killing, but how it affects our way we eat or drink, the sleep we get, the labors, our recreations, all of which are to be done to the glory of God and how we can care for and comfort those who are in distress and protect and defend the innocent. It also goes on in question 136 to say, what are the sins forbidden in the sixth commandment? And the sins forbidden in the sixth commandment are the all taking away of life of ourselves or others, except in the case of public justice, lawful war, or necessary defense, the neglecting or withdrawing of lawful and necessary means of preserving life. So there we have some great theological minds who say self-preservation, self-defense is an application of Exodus 20.12, the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. And we begin with the word of God 
And we then build upon that with our understanding and application of it in, in our daily activities. And how do we flesh that out in our lives is what we really want to talk about as we move forward. Yeah, it's self-defense is not a vengeful reaction to an offense. It, you know, some people can bring up another passage, Matthew 5, 39, where Jesus commands to turn the other cheek, but that's more dealing with personal slights and offenses, maybe more words or things of that nature, but self-defense is not a vengeful reaction. It's like you said, a self-preservation reaction. It's something built innate in us to keep us alive. And that's God given. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, we would, there'd probably be a caveat as well as for instances of persecution where we have the opportunity to suffer for Christ and, and to share in his suffering that way. That is probably not a time when we would want to exercise our right for self-preservation if we are been counted worthy to be suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ, even physically. Yeah, no, that's a great point to bring up. And, you know, you brought up the other passage of, or the example of Peter in the garden who chopped off the ear of the servant of the high priest. You know, I think what's important is to go back to Luke 22, verse 35 and 36, where Jesus is actually the one who told them to sell their cloak and buy a sword. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yep. So he, in a sense, arms them and tells them that this is important in that specific instance. That was not the proper use of force because Christ was heading toward the cross and that was the Father's will. But I, I just think that's an interesting thing to bring out that Christ is the one who armed them. And specifically, if you remember that passage, he goes on and someone says, well, here, here we have two. Jesus says, well, that's more, that's enough. That's enough because it was a for a purpose. Like you said, there was something that was going to happen in the garden that was going to be used by Christ to, to teach his people about his kingdom and what was coming and that he had the power to call down a myriad of angels to save him. He didn't really need that human sword at that time, but it was a lesson that needed his disciples needed to, to see and to understand. Yeah. Okay. So our next question here, do you recommend that ladies take a self-defense class? And if so, which style or what kind of a class would you recommend? That's a great question. And here's some of the, the where I told you, you may not always anticipate the answers I'm going to to give. You know, God God created us with this physiological reaction to fear that we often call the uh, the fight or flight response. It, it's this innate desire to survive. Both of those things, because they are created in us and by our Creator. Both of those are valid responses in a time of fear or a potential danger. Um, sometimes the right answer is get out of dodge. Um, you know, run to the nearest well-lit area uh, or police station or into a crowd and, and just share your concerns about what's going on. Um, get away from the situation. Get on the phone and talk to somebody, law enforcement, 911, if it, if you're really in a situation where you feel threatened. 
the other side of the flip side of that coin is the fight side. And you have to be prepared for both of those. Both of those take both a physical preparation and a mental preparation. No matter what that flight is going to look like, it will take a lot out of you. And the fight that you bring into that situation is going to take everything you've got. So should a, a young lady um, take a self-defense class? I, I would say for sure. But if she takes a self-defense class, stay away from the gimmicky classes that kind of run you through. If someone does this to you, then break this this way. Life doesn't happen that way. <laughs> and there's lots of spoof videos on all over the interweb that you can watch for fun of people pretending and that's how it works. But take a class where they're going to teach fight to survive. And no matter what that means, you will have the mental fortitude because you train in a way that is survivalistic. When you are engaged in the fight, no matter how painful that is, no matter how outweighed you might be by your opponent, you're going to fight to get loose. You're going to fight to be free. You're going to fight to win. There are great classes, and, and some of them would teach you techniques that would be very important, such as grappling classes. Other self-defense classes can be beneficial because you learn how to strike and how to kick. But anything that will really, that falls short of teaching into you that survivalist thought is all well and good until you're in that situation and you're like, hey, this really hurts. What am I going to do now? Uh, because if you're not prepared to, to fight it out through the pain to survive it mentally, because you haven't trained that way, then you're going to try to shift back into flight, but it's too late. Now you're engaged. So I, I would encourage young ladies to take a self-defense class, but one that will focus not only on physical side of the defense. I don't have a, a necessarily a school that I would recommend. Uh, I do know a lot of our friends and family have trained at the Masters in Motion in Burbank, and I've seen them learn this mentality as they rise up to ranks. You know, some of these uh, self-defense classes often are connected with Eastern mysticism. And so you have to be able to separate yourself from some of that uh, philosophy that comes with it. So as you shop, look for a class or a, a trainer who's going to be devoid of some of that. But it will help really instill in you that, that drive to fight when you have to fight and to recognize when fleeing is better and trying to get away before that you put yourself in that position, you know, in the Proverbs, a young man is give, directed to be wise and to avoid certain places where he might fall into temptation. Right. And it's no, no different when it comes to our own lives. We don't want to put ourselves in positions where we are endangering our lives unnecessarily. So using good common sense, in planning and strategizing your your exercise and your runs, your walks, whatever your 
your activity outdoors is, is just as important as the, the preparation. I have an interesting story that just I heard today. I, I work for the parks division in, a, in our city. And this, this morning in our meeting, we were discussing a resident who had called and, and wondered why we didn't have a little safety shelter uh, in the park. Because when she's out, you know, jogging at night in the park, it's dark and it'd be nice to know there would be a little safety shelter. And for me, my first thought was, well, if you're concerned about your safety, the park closes at 10 o'clock. So if the park is closed, why are you jogging at 10 o'clock at night? So I think that's just as the supportive, you know, that that is the mentality that we often hear, which John addressed right here is really think through for young ladies to think through what kind of position am I putting myself in? Are you thinking through where did it, where are you parked? Are you going to be at the mall? Maybe you work at a mall and you work until closing and you know, you're going to be walking through, you know, through a dark parking garage late at night. What can you do to mitigate that not ideal circumstance? So, so some things we have to think through ahead of time, but that was a really obvious one to me. I mean, I just, many people in this society do kind of place the responsibility of their personal safety onto the government or onto, you know, a business or onto some source outside of themselves where so many of our our personal decisions. When we were in college, I remember our dean of men, we weren't allowed to go to the beach at nighttime. That was one of the big no-nos. And he, he used to stand in chapel and tell us nothing good happens at the beach after six o'clock p.m. So, I mean, but I think while he was, well, that was kind of a superfluous little regulation rule at the college, at the same time, it it's proven to be a useful principle. If you apply the principle of, is this a good place for me to be at this time to some of your thought processes that can be very helpful in avoiding a situation where you would need to be able to defend yourself. Yeah. And I think for so many women, we feel more confident of our ability to thwart off an attacker than we should. Maybe someone has taken a little bit of Kung Fu and they're like, oh, I know all the moves and oh, I got pepper spray in my purse. And they feel like they can put themselves in harm's way because they think they're, they're, they've got it covered. But what most women don't know is that in a, an event of an attack, most likely would be coming at you from a guy, if you're a lady, you are going to be completely outmatched just from a size strength perspective. We know that men and women are made differently. God designed that. And so I think with the whole like, what class should I take? Just being physically fit is going to be a huge asset. (laughs) If you can run fast, climb a tree, I don't know, maybe climbing a tree is not a good (laughs) self-defense tactic, but... (laughs) It was funny when John was talking about the classes and and I I have so many times I've seen young ladies who are like, they'll ask John to like, oh, here, let me test out this move I learned on, or they'll ask John or one of my brothers, somebody, you know, like, oh, I just learned this. Let me show you how it works. So they go after them. Well, and get them completely locked up. And, you know, they're like, oh, shoot, this isn't how it worked in the studio. You know, so if anything that you're having to, oh, well, let's see, you know, you can watch a YouTube video and think, oh, I can do that. No problem on so many topics. 
But this, like you said, this is real life. That attack is not going to happen to you the way it did in the studio. And Chris, I just want to, you brought out a good point about just like people who work late or have to walk through parking structures or across parking lots at night. So many, and I see this all the time and I do this too, it's a bad habit, but we just look at our phones and we're so distracted and not aware of our surroundings. And some people have their ear pods in and they're not listening to what's going on around them. Do you have any thoughts on that as far as just being aware of your surroundings? Yes, that is such a huge problem I see all the time as well. And even when I'm out on the hiking trails, uh, in the beginning, I used to wear earbuds or whatever to listen to music. But I learned pretty quickly that when you're in a situation and the wilderness or hiking trail is is a good it's a good place to kind of think about the awareness and, and really transfer that principle again to the parking garage or other situations. If you're not aware, you need to be listening for sounds, animals. For me, when I'm on the trail, I took the earbuds out, you know, cause I need to hear, you know, rustling in the grass. I need to hear if someone's coming up behind me, you can hear their breathing, you can hear the footsteps. And so I think that is that, that spatial awareness of your surroundings is incredibly important. And again, not to be paranoid, but we tend to live in a world where we're all zoomed into our technology and our phones and our music and our distractions. And we're missing some very pertinent signals that could change our situation drastically. So yes, I think it's, I think that applies both in the wilderness on the trail, as well as to our everyday, even our everyday situation. In the case of a, a young woman being stalked, you know, if if you're not, if you're just walking out the door after work, just looking at your phone and getting in your car and you that the same car has been parked, you know, with somebody in there day after day or multiple times in a week, you know, you're putting yourself at a, at a disadvantage or you're, you're making yourself more vulnerable because you're not aware of what's happening. John, did you have anything you wanted to share on that specific point? Yeah, I think uh, Chris really hit the nail on the head. Situational awareness is so important. You know, in law enforcement, you've probably seen it. If you know any police officers, they say our heads are always on the swivel, meaning we're always looking in every direction, constantly scanning people, crowd, the restaurant, the parking lot. Because we're always looking for potential threat. And, and that that vigilance is what helps the law enforcement officers do their job, but also helps in their self-preservation on and off duty. It's not something, it's a lifestyle. It's something that you do. I do when I'm out with Grisa on a date night. And I sit in a certain way so I can see the door. It's just a style of looking and and not to make you jaded and to think all people are bad, but it is just about situational awareness. And there's an adage, if it feels wrong, it probably is. And you have always had, you've had those experiences where the hair on the back of your neck stands up and you realize, okay, this is not a good situation. Those are also signs for us to to be aware that, listen, something's not right here. I need to correct my way of addressing it 
how do I remove this, remove myself from the situation so I can be safe? And that may be mean, meaning, like Krista said, parking your car outside the gym if you're if you're running on a treadmill closest to the door, so you you don't have to expose yourself to danger or some other potential difficulty. You know, I think just common sense things for staying safe when you, when you feel like there may be somebody following you is just to to avoid those areas where it's just you and a couple people. You know, if you're hiking, you want to hike populated trails. If you're jogging, you want to jog on, on areas of the street that are, are well jogged by other joggers instead of trying to find your own you know, private route where you might um, enjoy the quiet of the jog. But then you're you're putting yourself in a situation where where you're at risk. There's there's safety in numbers, and so we want to we want to be careful with that. If you are feel, you know, in a situation where you feel like you're being followed, again, find yourself get to a crowd of people and make your concerns known. You know, just the fact that you've rallied a few more people around you to say, "Hey, this guy's following me." You'd be surprised how many people will stand with you in that situation. Uh, just to make sure you're safe. So it's not a time to be heroic. It's not a time necessarily to turn and, and face your your uh, stalker. Um, you don't look to get engaged in some physical contact, but when it comes to you, then that's when the, you have to be prepared for that fight. Those are all great points and great thoughts. So... What self-defense tools should I have in my purse, in my car, and at my house? And if I can also tag this onto the question, if you have, and maybe we did kind of cover this, but how should Christians think of weapons and the use of weapons? Sure. Christy, that's a great question. And that really is a very personal decision for, for young ladies to make. You know, I can make suggestions. But ultimately, it comes down to what you're comfortable using and what you're legally able to use within your state. So, so I'd say, first of all, you want to know your state and local laws regarding what you can and can't carry. And then my advice is carry anything legally possessable that you feel comfortable using. With that advice, I would also say know your own limitations and the limitations of the choice that you make. You have, you're going to have physical limitations. You're going to have emotional limitations and certainly spiritual concerns. So you have to know what those are before you deploy or discharge a weapon of any kind. Remember, whatever you decide to carry, once you've deployed it, you've added that now to the, to the mix, right? So now the perpetrator's flight or fight's response is amped up by your presentation of whatever weapon that might be. So you may be uh, pulling out a pepper spray or an individual taser, and he's willing to fight through that. It's a matter of just personal choice. Know your systems, what works for you, what you feel comfortable using. If you feel comfortable having a CCW, a concealed weapons permit, then get that and carry a weapon. That certainly is legal within the permitted system in the state of California. And if you're going to carry anything, 
make sure you're properly trained on not just the use of that weapon, but also the the retention of that weapon. And just as a, a side note, you really don't have to limit yourself to what we think of specifically as weapons. In your purse is a, a plethora of items you can use as a weapon if need be. You can use your keys. You can use the purse itself. I've seen some of them. They'll knock you, knock you down. <laughs> There's so much weight in them. It can be used as a, a club in and of itself. You can use a pen. Whatever you can present or find, feel if the aggression rises to the level, use whatever you need to survive. But you have to kind of know what is available to you and what you're comfortable using. There are no right answers. Some people will feel very comfortable with pepper spray and some others will be just realize that that may not be the best choice and they'll want something uh, a little more um, powerful. And others will be like, uh, I don't really want to use that. I'm just going to use my keys and I'll, I'll, I'll scratch their face. It really depends on where you are in that scope of fighting for your, your life. You know, obviously you're not going to go to, if you carry a weapon like a gun, you're not going to go to guns every time right away just because somebody scares you. But that's, that's, that's a life and death situation only where pepper spray may be used as a, a hindrance, a show of force, a dissuader of some kind. But it, it may not. It may just irritate the person. And they're, they're like, yeah, that does, stuff doesn't bother me. So then you've got to kind of take your steps up the ladder of escalation. I like how you said know the tools and how to use them because I did that once. I was out hiking and I had pepper spray and I was just thinking, you know, I've never used this. I don't really know how far this pepper spray stream is going to go. So I... I planted both feet down. I was, you know, away from people. I held it out at arm's length. I was about ready to be propelled backward by the force that was going to come out of this tiny little bottle. <laughs> was not very happy when I saw this tiny little stream kind of dribble out <laughs> and realized, oh, this isn't going to do much. You know, I'm going to have to be at point blank range to have this do any damage. But I was really glad that I tested that out and kind of knew what I was up against and if I had to use it. Just think how disappointed and how dangerous that would be if you were in an instance where you were depending upon that and you pulled it out having not tested it. You know, it, you could have found yourself in a much more vulnerable position. And as, as John was talking about that and you reinforced it with your comment, I, I reverted to training for the trail. And when we were getting ready for that hike, I mean, I went on multiple trips. You know, you don't ever go out with a piece of equipment that you have not used. And many, many times I read about or, you know, I've read an article about many people know they're going up into an area that's going to have snow and ice. So they get the crampons and the ice axe and they're carrying it on their backpack but they've never actually used it. They've never gone to a class. They don't even know how to use the tools. So they feel very confident because they have this tool 
but yet they don't, it's like carrying a compass in your backpack for navigation. But if you don't know how to use that compass, it's not going to do you one lick of good. So when John was talking about that, you know, that's true of every single item that you're going to use in your carry in your purse or at home, anything, not only do you need to know how to use it, but you need to be practiced and trained. Particularly, I was thinking about the gun. I don't have really much training at all in guns. That's just not something I've been interested in. I mean, I've shot a gun now and again, but you mentioned the riots that we had last summer. And I was in a place where John got called into work and there had been some very credible things on social media that they were going to come out and attack and they were going to be looking for cops homes. For the first time in his 25-year career on that night, I thought, I'm in real danger here. <laughs> and so as he's getting ready to, to go out the door, I'm like, you've got to show me how to use the shotgun. <laughs> You know, so he pulled it out and, you know, he, he showed me and I thought, oh, I, I just prayed because I thought, oh, man, I don't know what's going to happen if I am in a situation because I'm not properly trained with this. So, I mean, the, the point of that is just like, thankfully, obviously nothing happened, but but it really did uh, reinforce that idea. Of it's not enough to carry a weapon, whether it's a gun or pepper spray or a knife. Any of these things can be used against you you need to be very well practiced. If you're going to carry it, you're going to have to take some time to know how to use it. Otherwise, you are only making the situation worse. Yeah. And John can probably speak to this also, but I've heard that in the moment, in a stressful moment, a lot of your training, you're going to forget or you're going to be shaky and you just have to be repetitive in your training so that it becomes a habit where you kind of circumvents the brain. <laughs> um, it becomes muscle memory to be able to exercise that. So for a lot of women not comfortable maybe carrying a firearm, you mentioned a taser or... What about a whistle? Like even just having something in your purse that you can quickly grab and just make a lot of noise to draw attention to a situation. What do you feel about that, honey? It would depend on the situation. Obviously, that if you're in a crowded spot, the likelihood that someone's going to attack you in that crowd yeah, is pretty true. slim. So drawing attention to yourself there, would, the commotion is going to draw attention. But law enforcement carries whistles. Uh, I know they were very popular on the trail for communicating to each other when, when you're in danger. You know, Christy, not everybody is going to take a, a lethal, lethal approach mm -hmm. to self-defense. And that's that's all right. That's why I said this is really all about personal choice at this point. You've got to determine before the Lord how you feel about that and whether that is something you want to live with the consequences of, of engaging in and what you're willing to give up in your own safety or situation in life that you're willing to give up to a perpetrator if you're not willing to do that. That's only can be decided between you and the Lord and how far you will take that in, in defending yourself. I think more important, getting back to what we talked about earlier, is, is having that survivability fight in you. And I don't care how big you are. In the police academy, I fought plenty of young ladies smaller than myself. And they put up a heck of a fight. And when they're 
intent on surviving, that fight is intensified. So train for that. You know, two minutes of wrestling or grappling on the ground with your big brother when you were 12 is a whole lot different than fighting with someone who has your harm in mind for five to eight to 10 minutes before someone helps you. So physical fitness, strength training, some actual grappling training, all those things are great and will will help any young lady to avoid having to maybe use some of these more aggressive self-defense weaponry. I don't know if this is useful, Christy, but the young woman that did agree to, to hike with me in the beginning, and she's single, and we've had a few conversations. She said, my tool is I'm just going to act crazy because nobody wants to mess with a crazy woman. So that, is, I mean, that's in her mind. She's gone through this whole process and she's just like, you know, if you just go ape crazy on this person with no real design or, you know, that can be enough to, to deter somebody from causing you harm. And I got a good laugh out of it, but I, she was serious. I mean, she made a good point too. Yeah. Well, and some, like I mentioned, some of my brothers are in the military. And so that some of the things they've told me are, you know, one of the, the things is try fight to the death. If you have to at the scene where they're trying to take you, don't let whoever's taking you somewhere, get you in a car, get you out of the, where they're taking you. It's just much better to do whatever you can to not be taken. Never let them get you into the car, Christine, because <laughs> you're never getting out. Sorry, that's a sad reality. Yeah. The brothers gave you great advice. They also said, and this might be a little bit vulgar, but just to make yourself as unattractive as possible, whether you have to defecate on yourself or vomit or whatever to get them away from you. That's an extreme tactic, but you know, an extreme situation would call for something like that. Uh, also great advice. That, that goes into the crazy category as well. Because many, I have, I have been taught that an attacker, if somebody's attacking you, part of the thrill of that is, is causing fear in the other person. And so if you succumb to that fear, that's a, you're playing right into what they want and that's their design. And some, somebody that behaves unpredictably without fear, and even if it is just that crazy, unpredictable reaction, that acts as a deterrent. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I'm having this vision of David before Saul foaming at the mouth. and <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. There you go. It's in the Bible. <laughs> okay, so next question here. And we touched on some of these points, but any other precautions you would tell ladies if they're going to be hiking or jogging alone? And, you know, my audience, mainly single ladies, so... We do a lot of things alone. Yeah, what would you have to say on that? Yeah, obviously my, my very first advice is don't. No, um, if you can avoid it at any, any time, especially at night, don't, don't hike, don't jog alone at night. Have a running partner, have a hiking partner. If you are going to jog alone, vary your routes from day to day. Don't be predictable. 
predictability is a weakness when it comes to self-defense. You, if you are predictable, then you're giving your attacker the advantage because they know where in your route is the best place to grab you. Because they know, they've studied it, you're out there every day, they're watching you. They know when you turn this corner on First Street, there's 30 seconds where she's blocked by the tree. That's my opportunity. So if you only go down First Street once or three times a week and never on the same day, you know, that, that's very hard to strategize and plan for. And if it's um, a planned attack, then you avoid those things by mixing up your routes and avoiding areas where you're alone. I would encourage uh, young ladies, if you're going to run at night, run on a treadmill at a gym. Uh, it's much safer than running the streets in, in Los Angeles. And I know that's not always possible. That's why we're talking about how to, how to defend yourself if you're in a position where this happens and you, you are out alone. So if they're going to do that, obviously have done some of this work to be prepared just in case. And Chrissy, this isn't happening. I want to be clear. This isn't happening like every five minutes, right? This happens very occasionally in a woman's life that she's stalked or, or that someone tries to grab her. So I don't want young ladies to live in fear that they can't go out in public alone, but they have to be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. And so having the right knowledge and preparation helps them to be wise and able to handle these situations. That would be my advice. If you can avoid it, avoid it. It doesn't always work that way. Try to um, stay in well-lit areas. Try to avoid dark streets. Try to avoid areas where there's no public gathering of people. You know, up here in Santa Cruz, there's lots of places you can run where there's lots of people. Even in you know, young families are out on the paseos and the streets are pretty busy. So if you live a little more remotely, maybe you want to avoid those kind of things. Once again, we're not trying to make people fearful that this is a rare thing that could happen, but it is all part of being wise just as you wouldn't get too close to a cliff or try to cross a stream that was too deep or any scenario. This is just, you know, think of... Or poke a bear with a sharp stick. <laughs> or that. Yeah. <laughs> is there a story behind that? No, no. Okay. That's, that's just an illustration. I sometimes say that's like poking a bear with a sharp stick. Yeah. <laughs> it's just wise. It's just doing doing things in a careful, well-thought-out, planned way. And that gives glory and honor to the Lord that we are using the brain He gave us and identifying danger. You know, and there's a lot of Proverbs about that, how the righteous foresee danger and they avoid it and how a fool just kind of walks into it. I wish I had some readily in my mind, but I don't. But just read through the Proverbs and you'll see them all over the place. Um, and I think that as a... The opposite of that and being in the outdoor world for quite some time, that is something that over time I drew a very stark contrast between a biblical approach and the worldly approach. Because particularly in the last, I'd say, five to seven years, there's been such a push for 
females to, you know, get out into the wild and outdoor adventures. And they really encourage, you know, solo adventuring. While I understand the concept behind, I do believe Proverbs 31, the Proverbs 31 woman is described as being very strong, right? So it is right to be strong and to be wise and to be confident. All of those things are right and good and virtuous. But the world twists that and wants women to elevate themselves to a point that they don't have to fear anyone. They don't, they're just as, you know, they use some some vulgar language to describe themselves and just feel like they can take on the world in that sense. And as I traveled in that world and, and enjoyed very much my time in the outdoors, I saw a very stark contrast difference between that worldly idea and the biblical idea. And the biblical idea of woman is that she is strong, both emotionally and physically, as well as mentally and spiritually. So there is strength there, but that doesn't mean that you prove that strength by being foolhardy, just as you said, Proverbs does not recommend that we make foolish choices. And and, uh, many women go out by themselves and men too. I mean, I, I, I even think men that go out into the wilderness alone, they're taking on some risk to do that. And if you get injured, one article, I read a story of a man who had injured himself crossing a stream and he was literally stuck on a log for 36 hours by himself before somebody came along to assist him. And so that's just, that has nothing to do with women proving that they're as good as men, uh, which we're kind of pushed to do as women. We're kind of pushed to like, we can do everything a man can do. And when you're out in that situation in the wilderness or on a hiking trail or what, whatever that situation is, it has nothing to do with proving yourself to be better or equal to anybody. It has to do with what's the wisest thing. And when you are going alone, Ecclesiastes says two are better than one because one falls down, the other will help him up. And I recognize this isn't, that's not the context of that, that scripture, but the principle does apply that if you're out doing something that is risky and whether it's the wilderness, whether it's jogging at night, when someone else is there, even if it's just an injury, even if it's not somebody attacking you, you know, you've injured yourself you have a partner there to help you. And so I saw that more and more. And and I saw many Christian young women kind of falling into that mindset too. Like, oh, you know, this is, you know, this is, I can do this solo four-day backpacking trip or a week or whatever by myself because I'm going to gain more independence and increase my confidence and my abilities and, and all of these things. You know, and I just caution young Christian women, particularly because your mindset should be different. Your mindset shouldn't be who you can impress with your independence. Your mindset should be that your life is given to you to glorify God. And how can you best do that? And that is not to say that some a woman that chooses to do that is necessarily sinning either. Because maybe for her, that is her spiritual retreat, and she's going to be completely dependent on the Lord and this time to commune with Him. I can't judge that. That's her, that's her relationship with the Lord. But I would, I would strongly encourage her to examine the mindset behind why you want to do this and what precautions you are going to take to be careful and to 
be careful with the the life that God has given you for his glory. And and there are things, there are precautions that could be taken, but something I wanted to share because I, I have seen that I've seen that growing in younger Christian women. And that is not to say I don't want to, I mean, I, I do hike at times by myself, but not the hikes, you know, we live in an area where there's hiking trails readily available. And when I go out, you know, there's, I'll see multiple people. And, and one thing I do in those situations, so I, I'm not opposed to women always at all times, you know, as you said, you're single, you're often by yourself. So you have to look for, you know, the best way to get the exercise. And if it's outdoors, whatever it is, you, you can completely do that. There are many, many opportunities to do that safely. You just want to do that in the safest way possible. But, and one of the ways you do that uh, when I'm out by myself and in a local trail here, I make eye contact with every single person that passes you, you make eye contact. And I always try to initiate not a conversation, but greet them. You, you want to do something so that if something happens, like people will remember, right? People will remember, yes, I saw that person, you know, whatever. Um, I saw that person, she was, she was at this point and she headed that direction, those kinds of things. So if you are alone, especially, obviously, you want to be on a trail where there are people, but even just not stop in the chat, but just make the eye contact. Notice you want it because you want to notice who they are as well. It's not just for your sake. You also want to notice, you know, male, female characteristics, just any of those things. Again, that plays back into our previous point of situational awareness. Yeah, no, that's great tips. And if I could carry that down a little bit further, sometimes it's easy to give away too much personal information when you're talking with strangers. So how do you maneuver those conversations and what information do you not share with strangers in any context, hiking on the trails, public settings, traveling, what should you not share? I was trained at a very young age uh, to never divulge any unnecessary information about yourself for a number of reasons. So, you know, when you're passing somebody on the trail, you say, great day. You talk about the weather. If you're going to talk, and again, my, my initial comment was just to like make a connection, not necessarily to stop and have a conversation, but sometimes you will have a conversation with somebody. There's no doubt. Uh, so obviously you want to avoid talking about where you live or where you work, how often you go out hiking this trail, any kind of personal connections like that. Yeah. You, you never, if, and if somebody's asking you very direct questions that clearly are not their business, it's really okay not to answer them. We kind of have a compulsion that if somebody asks us a question, we have to answer it. And we just really don't have to, you know, start talking about the grass or the flowers or, you know, you saw a rattlesnake or, you know, whatever. I never really get into any personal conversations in that sense that would divulge anything. I find most of the people that are out there, if they're going to engage in a conversation, it's generally about the experience you're having, the trail you're on. Sometimes people will ask, you know, about other trails that are good and things like that. So yeah, I would discourage any kind of personal conversation with anybody that you met on a trail. Hey, Christy, with one caveat, obviously, as the Lord leads us into yeah. opportunities for for evangelism, you know, we can we can evangelize and share with people the love of Christ 
without giving up too much information personally about our lives, you know, who we are, where we live, what our phone number is, what my social security <laughs> number is, and my passcode. You know, we don't have to give them those details, but there's nothing to say you need to stop being personable. You know, we, we want to be personable when we meet strangers and we want to take opportunities as the Lord leads us into opportunities for the gospel. So we wouldn't shy away from those things, but we do want to be cognizant of the nature of questions if they're asking, you know, what street do you live on? What kind of car do you drive? Did you drive here today? You know, just different questions that are, they're prying questions and you'll notice them when you start hearing them. Mm -hmm. And just be cautious of those. You don't want to divulge that information. You don't want to lie, obviously, but you can you can answer that question graciously without giving an answer. So just be again, it really is just about being wise and prudent when you're dealing with strangers, but not standoffish. You don't want to give them a reason to punch you in the eye. You know, we shouldn't be inspiring people to want to to harm us <laughs> because we're you know just obnoxious or or rude to them. Yeah. Well, and a, a smile and like Carissa said, eye contact, all of that can speak very powerfully to our love and care for people. So, you know, let your facial expressions be what people see and notice and remember about you. And if you're uncomfortable too, just it's very, and I've been, I have been in situations while I do that. I mean, it's very clear. It's very clear, very quickly when uh, you're in an uncomfortable conversation with a stranger. So even before it gets like, as soon as I start sensing that, you know, with your body language, you you keep moving on. Like you you can make it very clear to that person that you're not interested in a conversation with them um, without being rude. You don't have to be rude, but yeah. So that that's very important too. That everyone understands, you know, that just walking away, especially in that situation, you're not. You know, you're not in a social setting where it's expected that you carry on a conversation. The Lord is not going to lead you as a single woman to evangelize a single man out on the trail. (laughs) So besides locking windows and doors, do you have any tips for home safety? Sure. You know, as your home is your castle and you want to protect it the best you can, there are a lot of things you can do. Uh, there are things I think that are proactive. They're offensive, not defensive, such as um, security systems. Even if you just have the the video, the AT&T uh, monitoring sign in the yard can be a deterrent, even if you don't have a good system. But systems are so cheap nowadays, and you don't need a, a large hard drive to store data. Uh, the Ring video system is probably one of the best ones. It stores on the cloud. It's um, rather inexpensive for a monthly fee. And those things are just deterrents. You want to do whatever you can to, to harden the vulnerability of your home. So it could be video cameras. It might be the extra locks. It might be just having a dog in the house. You know, that's a great deterrent. Yeah, that's, they say that's the, still the best home alarm system is a dog. Yeah. <laughs> Especially one that barks readily and loudly. You know, extra lighting, uh, motion sensors, 
all those things are important. Even putting timers on your, your lights in the house for when you're not home is a deterrent because it keeps people guessing as to whether someone's inside or not. Those are just simple things you can do. And then you have to decide again, back to how will I defend my castle if someone comes inside? And by defending your castle, I really mean yourself. You know, the, the, the building is not that important. The, the things in it can all be replaced. It then becomes, why have you come in my house? I, I perceive that this is for my harm. And now I'm, again, back into self-defense mode. How am I going to defend myself in my home? And again, very personal decisions have to be made there. What about home invasion or what guidance can you offer for somebody who lives alone, even answering the door if there's a knock on the door that she's not expecting? Yeah, I I think obviously, Christy, you want to look and see if it's somebody you know. If it's not somebody you know, there's no reason to answer the door if you're single and living alone at night. Just because someone comes to the door, you can communicate through the door with that person what their need is. You can offer to get them assistance through the door. Even if their car is broken down, let me call the police for you. Let me call AAA for you. And and you'll quickly become apprised to the fact that they are really in need and willing to accept your offer of help. Or there's a greater scheme of trying to get inside your house by the way they respond to that. You know, they're going to try to get inside if they mean you harm at any cost. So everything you try to offer won't be right. It won't be good enough. So just, again, wisdom. Think through a scenario. Why is someone at my door, of all doors, by my door? And do I know this person? Can I help them without letting them in? Do you both have any wisdom on... I know right now, Facebook Marketplace is really popular. People buying and selling, going to each other's homes, you know, random strangers. You know, I have some cautions about that. Do you have any wisdom there? You know, I've used Marketplace myself and I've sold things through them. And and I've handled it two ways. I have had people come here. You know, I'm also trained law enforcement, so... You know, I, I meet those with a little different approach than many, probably. But yeah, I, I like to make my meetings somewhere other than my home. You know, uh, we live right down the street from a public place. So why not meet them there? You know, why don't you meet me at the, the Ralph's grocery store parking lot? And, and even there, I, I've, I've responded to robberies at, when people are buying and selling things where it was supposed to be done in a public place and they still got ripped off. And so there's still a danger to that that you have to be aware of, but why invite that danger to your home and potentially uh, put yourself in a situation where they realize this is a single lady lives here. Perhaps I'll come back later. Yeah. You're just giving a stranger a lot of information about yourself Nothing against Facebook Marketplace as as a advertising, but you know there's cautions you you need to use when inviting people into your life, particularly 
when it's going to disclose things about you personally that could be exploited. That, that, that applies to the opening the door too. just opening the door to speak to somebody, you know, they, they can see a lot just from that vantage point and, and they're learning a lot about your life just by, you know, cars parked, where are they? Parked? You know, just, there's just a plethora of things um, about your situation that, you, when you open the door, you are allowing somebody to see quite a bit. They're going to see family pictures that may be, you know, on display. Just there's just a lot of things. Yeah. Well, and John brought up a good tool, the the ring doorbell system, because I believe that's hooked up to people your phone, and so you don't even have to get near the door to see who it is. Talk to them through the doorbell, so you're not having to actually open your door, and you know, just about using Facebook Marketplace, giving out a lot of personal information, including through your Facebook page. If you don't have your privacy settings set on Facebook, someone can see a lot about you just on those public forums and settings. And just as a sneak peek to the listeners, we are going to be doing a whole episode on internet safety. So passwords, information you shouldn't share online, all of that. So we'll do a whole separate talk on that type of safety. John and Krista, do you have any final thoughts for the listeners today? So we talked about a lot of things, Christy, that, um, like I said, there's a lot of opinion there I'm offering from my experience. I just challenged uh, the listeners to, to get into the Word of God and kind of look into the Word to find out how to flesh some of these things out for them biblically. You know, we got into the law, just into Exodus, just briefly. But there's to plumb the depths of what God is saying in his word gives us so much wisdom and insight, helps us to, to formulate how we go about living our lives in a world that has potential for harm and just being prepared to think biblically about life. For me as a Christian woman, exhorting and encouraging young single women or single women of all ages that you belong to the Lord. And it is very easy to be drawn into the fear trap. This this world, everything around us can really, I think, tries to create fear in us. But God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, as the old King James used to say. So he has given us this mind and we belong to him. We, we are his children. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He's given you this time as single women to fulfill his purposes. And, and when you keep that as your focus and you apply biblical wisdom to the choices and the decisions you make in your life, he is caring for you. His sovereign will is going to be done in your life. And, and you can rest in that no matter what kind of, fear the world can throw at you, or we can even create for ourselves. Sometimes we can kind of whip ourselves into a fearful frenzy over the what ifs and what could happen. And that is not how the Lord wants us to live. He wants us to be trusting in him and dependent upon him for our well-being and for our care. And we should be dependent. And at the same time, he has given us rational, reasonable minds to think through the best way to honor him in this phase of life, in this time of life as a single woman. 